0: Edition of the Pixel Roll Show, where we discuss the Washington Bullets. Hey everyone, what's up? This is part two of my discussion with Adam Rubin. We get into his oral history project of the 1997 Washington Bullets versus the Chicago Bulls playoff series. The Bulls won in three games. Jawan Howard, Chris Weber, and Rod Strickland led the Bullets against Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. He ends up interviewing a lot of players and former coaches of the 1997 Washington Bullets. Very cool, very interesting. We also end on a depressing note where we discuss the most disastrous decision in franchise history, the trading way of Chris Weber. So everyone, thank you so much for your support, and enjoy. The the Washington Bullets in 1996-1997 lost... In three games to the Bulls, and I'm winning the title, Michael Jordan's Bulls. and you recently being a bullets historian, are working on a piece for the for, for the website and I actually is as end up being a kind of bullets historian myself. I had uh, Curtis on from Pro Hoops History a couple months ago, we went into a lot of the eras of the of the players. And I, I want to have him back on and kind of break down certain kind of bullets legends and almost kind of break down some of the playoff series in the '70s because they're kind of fascinating to look back at. It. But you took you chose one I felt was very very interesting because it ends up being a heartbreaking one in the sense that you had this young team with studs. This this before I get this, you got Juwan Howard Strickland and Chris Weber. Uh, so you have the he- the Howard Weber team, who finished the season uh, in 1996-97. They were 44-38, uh, fourth in the NBA Atlantic Division, coached by uh, Jim Lynham and Bernie Bickerstaff that season. Uh, they were 10th in points. Uh, they were 13th in offense and 13th in defense in the NBA. Uh, so... You know, a fun, fun team. People forget about, especially younger younger fans. And then, you know, then Weber gets traded, and it gets blown up. But Strickland was pretty amazing, and they were pretty competitive against the Bulls in these in these in these games. And the reason we're looking back on it is that you have decided to to write this all up. So just talk to me about your process of, of picking this as a as an idea, and in what kind of has come about to to select this time in uh, Bullets history?
1: Well, it's mainly a, a personal reasons. I mean, that was in my my, my formative years of, as an NBA fan. I mean, I grew up, uh, I guess, from when you're 10 years old, you know, back in, in 1988. So From that point forward, from, from age 10 to age 19, Washington was never in the playoffs. And, you know, you go to the Capitol Center to watch the games, and it's just pretty much you're going to watch the – it's the Susan O'Malley years where you're going to watch the other teams play, and there's not many – fans and then all of a sudden there was this perfect storm of this team that came together and, and made the playoffs and, and played Chicago and it's the first time where you had a playoff game. It's sort of like when Washington made the playoffs in two thousand uh, with two thousand I guess five whatever it was the first time against Chicago. Two thousand fourteen.
0: 14
1: after, 2014. Well no after the drought after the big drought after when Larry when 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 he had oh, a redis in t- there was a huge drought and then that's the first time people are watching playoff basketball, but it was even bigger drought back then from 1988 to, to, to 1997 from when they weren't in the playoffs at all. So that was sort of, that was the biggest time, the biggest games that, that grew up that I had ever been to. in that home game, that game three, which is, which I spent a lot of time chronicling. in game three was, was the greatest game I've ever been to, uh, you know, in, in my lifetime to be at a, at a home game. And, and it actually started when I was out in, I go to the summer league in the NBA summer league in Las Vegas every year. And you see a lot of these older players there and you talked to a lot of other fans there. And I was talking to uh, Andrew Sharp, who was the rights for Grantland or where Grantland existed. And he's a big you know, Washington fan at that website. So we do all these Washington stuff. And we were talking about about the 97 team and, and memories about it and how, how people forget how good that team was with Weber and, and Howard and, as you're I'm walking around in Las Vegas and I run into, I see Bernie Dickerstaff and I saw Jim lineham and I saw Tracy Murray and I'm like, you know what? I'm, you know, I'm just going to go up and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to them. I'm going to ask them questions. I wonder, do they think the same way about that team or about that era as, as a play, as fans do, you know, what would their memories be? And when I started talking to them and they, you know, they were all very happy to talk about, remember about that and remember this, and, and I decided, you know what, let me, let me try to expand this. And I, and I, and a lot of the players, like Ron Strickland, he's now an assistant coach uh, in Florida. I University of South Florida, or Central Florida. I forget. And so I sent out, you know, an a, a interview request through the through the school, and you know, and he responded and said, "Sure, I, I, you know, he'd be happy to talk about the team." So I I, I talked to him. I I made a request to the Miami Heat for Jawan Howard. And I talked to him. Uh, Chris Whitney, who's a coach on the Charlotte Hornets, uh, you know, sent a request, and, and he and he was able willing to talk. So. I ended up talking to a lot of the players, and you find out they're all, it's its something they haven't thought about in a while, that nobody ever asks them about, it. they don't talk about it, but when they start talking about it, and then we start coming back, and they're telling me stories about how it was, and you can hear the excitement in, in their voice, and then when they start remembering these things, and so it's interesting to get their perspective and to, and to chronicle that year and see that it's not just the fans who remember those things so fondly, and to also talk to them about, how high that team was in 1997—that game three when they pushed the Bulls—and when Jordan said they're the team of the future—and when you know with Howard and Weber and Strickland and, and Mirosan, they were the team of the future—and then and then you know leading up to the Weber trade and how it all how it all went down. So to get their story of how they got so high and how they were, were pushed so far, and then for it all to be just the, the rug to be you know pulled out from under them with the, with that Weber trade. So it was it was very it was it was interesting to get their. Perspective, and it was also a little weird because you're seeing the, you're talking to these people you sort of you grew up watching. So, you know, when my cell phone rings, I look at the caller ID and it says Rod Strickland, and you know, <laughs> sort of, so, you know, I sort of have that moment, you know, like right before you pick it up, like oh, this is really happening. I'm going to start talking to Rod Strickland, and. And you don't know how much they remember. I'm like, I'm going to ask him about 1997. Is he going to say, you know, oh man, I don't really remember that or what are you talking about? You know, so 19 years so, ago, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's like, do you remember when you were traded from the Portland Trailblazers, you know, the Rashid Wallace trade to Washington and, 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 and you go from there I and mean, then they start getting into it. And, and when I'm talking to Strickland, for instance, uh, about game three and I don't know if you, if you remember the specific game, that's when Pippen at the end of game three, when there was that loose ball, when Jordan had the loose ball, Pippen picked it up and went baseline and dunked for the game winning dunk. And, and then Washington had the ball with about seven seconds left for a final shot that Calvert Chaney missed. And so Rod Strickland is sort of running through that final play and talking about how he brought it up the court. He remembers Randy Brown picking him up and him driving in the lane and then kicking it out to Strick to, to Cheney for the shot. And, you know, Strickland was telling me, you know what? I, I when I look back, like, I wish I had taken that shot. You know, I gave the ball to Cheney, He was a good option, but you know what? I wish I had taken it. And it's just, when you're talking to players now and they're remembering these plays and, and thinking about it, you know, the same way fans do, you know, it's pretty cool to, to, to get their reactions, sort of get a, a blow by blow of what their, their memories are. And, and I was talking, I remember I was asking Jawan about, uh, when he, when you came back to DC for that game three, because it was a best of five back then, they, they came back for game three to the USA Arena and the place was crazy. I mean, it was the loudest I've ever heard of stadium and, and you know, much louder than it's been in in, in the most recent years. And I asked him why. I just said, "Hey, do you do you remember what the atmosphere was like when when he went back to DC?" And he just paused and said, "I'm getting chills right now as you asking me that question." And to hear him wow. like, and he's just, and he was just talking. He he was at the uh, American Airlines Arena in Miami after practice one day. He just called from the from the locker room. And so to hear him, you know, him stop and say, "You know what? I'm getting chills." Like to to, to see like. He can remember, and he's remembering back as if he's you know experiencing it again. And he's talking about that game, and he's talking about uh you know playing with Weber and how much he, he loved being here in D.C. and 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 I was asking him about the team and and how good did he think that team could have been. And he's telling me you know back then, he thought that team could have won a title. You know he was upset they broke up the team. You know he said he said I could have been naive. I was 23 or 24 years old, but I thought that I loved our roster and I thought we were going to be. A championship team. And I, and I asked him, well, now it's 20 years later. You've won a title with Miami Heat. You know, now you have a little more perspective. Like, do, do, how do you feel? Do you feel the same way? And he said, you know what, man? Like that's I, what I told you is exactly how I feel today. That team would have put a banner up if they had given us more time. And it's just cool to listen to the players who have gone off to like all careers and in, in playing and coaching, you know, think back and, and remembering and having those thoughts about, uh, about the Washington team. And, and so, so there's a lot of like little little stories in there and, and and quotes and stuff and going back you know sort of giving an oral history of that year and then up through the the Weber trade which they all pretty much said finish the team know that was it you know once the Weber trade happened that you know they were done so um, well yeah to, to
0: recap for the people so game so you said it was a best of five they lost the first game to the Bulls in Chicago 98 to 86 they lost the second game 109 to 104. And according to this box score, they were up pretty big, uh, at halftime. They were rolling pretty good. That was in Chicago. They lose. They come back to the game we are talking about. And Chicago won 96 to 95. And I guess when you were talking to Juwan, I mean, that was his first home playoff game of all time, right? I mean, aside from the 5-5 five, five, five experience, it was probably a whole completely different wild memory that he ended up, you know, he ended up having many more out of his career progress, but that one probably always was, was, had a, had, a, had a place that he remembered.
1: Well, it's interesting because I, I was asking him about that going back to Chicago for your first playoff game. You know, he'd been an all-star the year before, but this is his first playoff game. And how did it feel going back to Chicago? Were you nervous? And he said – he Where he's said, from, where he's from. Yeah. He's, and, and he said, you know, he, he just bluntly said no. He said, he said I wasn't at all, you know, at all. He said I remember that like it was yesterday. I, I, I was not nervous at all. I had no butterflies. He's like, we were there to win the game. And you know, maybe nobody else, you know, probably thought we had a chance against Chicago, but but we did. And 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 uh, Strickland was talking about how Weber and Howard were the heart and soul of the team, and how how confident they were, you know, and how they were always out there talking trash, and they always thought they could beat anybody, and they weren't they weren't starstruck at all. And that's just how they played, and the team you know took on that role. But but yeah, that's why that's you know, Jawan was you know he was he he was confident, he was a confident player, and and he was not. You know, to, to hear him tell it, he was not nervous at all, he was ready to play, and he knew he was playing Jordan and Pippen and Robin and, you know, the history, but but they didn't care, they were there to play. And, and yeah, that second game, and I have, you know, I wrote, God, I, I'm up to, like, I don't know, it's probably going to be, I have like six or 7,000 words on the, uh, <laughs> but it's awesome. so you're, you're going to, but, but I put in some videos. so all this stuff that we're talking about, I got video of the game, and, you know, the different games, and, uh, and, yeah, that, that, that game, too. So they're up 65 to 58 at halftime. Yeah, they steamrolled them in the first half. They came out and, and there were Weber, Weber, Weber actually fouled out in all three games, but the first (laughs) game, the first game he had eight points and fouled out and he was pissed starting the second game. He came out there. He was dunking on Pippen. He dunked on Brian Williams. I got some good video of that on the, uh, in the post, but, um, and, and they just, they took over and, and Phil Jackson was, Okay. He was not happy.
0: Oh, by the way, Jordan went for fifty-five.
1: <laughs> Jordan, in that game, Jordan uh, Washington was up 65-58 in the first half. They were scoring at will. Jordan was twenty-two for thirty-five for the game, fifty-five points. And Bickerstaff, I was asking Bickerstaff about that, and he said that in game two they decided to put Jordan one-on-one because he was he had some success with that when they were playing in Denver. Bickerstaff, coach in Denver, and said he had some success. And Chris Brittany was saying that, yeah, we, we put Calvert Chaney on. He had the length to sort of bother him. And our thought was, let us let Jordan get his and, you know, hold down everybody else. And in the first half, Jordan had 26 points, but, but Washington was up 65 58. Um, and in the second half, you know, the Bulls just sort of chipped away and they finally took the lead in the third quarter. But, but yeah, in that fourth quarter, Jordan scored 20 of the team's 23 points and, and, and he put the game away at the end, but they were up, uh, It was a three point game with 30, uh, 35 seconds left. You know, it was a three point game and Jordan set the double team and made a layup to put it out of reach. But, but that was those two games watching that in DC, uh, and the fans watching that and seeing them play Chicago that close. That that set up that game three when they came home. The fans who were not only seeing Michael Jordan, which back then was, you know, that's, that's the pinnacle. Seeing Michael Jordan alone in a regular season game is a huge deal. Now you're seeing Michael Jordan in a playoff game. And it's your first playoff game in nine years and for most people in their entire life. And Washington has a chance to make history and, and play them well. And you have a young and hungry team. So that, that game was just insane. The game three and to come down to the way, the way it did to, to come down to that last second, um, was just crazy. And for the, and for the players to, the players after that game, you know, they had lost, were so confident and so excited about where the team was going. This was also the last season of the Washington Bullets. This was, the final season of the Bullets, and they were going into the U.S. Again, and they were going to be the Wizards the next year. So, this was supposed to be, you know, the evolution of the team. This was supposed to be the future. It's Weber, it's Howard, it's Strickland, it's Mirazon Okay, the will throw in there, too. Um, and, and then for it to, you know, starting the Wizards, the Wizards, uh, you know, their time as the Wizards, so... But, they were, people forget now, but that was, I mean, they were up there. That was, as far as I'm concerned, that was the best roster, the most promised, the most hope of any team in the last 35 years. And. Well,
0: well there's one player we haven't, we haven't mentioned is Tracy Murray. Cause he had, he had a bunch of, he had 20 points in game three off the bench. I believe he had, he had 22 off the bench in game two. And he had, uh, what did he have in game? He had 13 points. So what, well, he averaged like 15, 16
1: a game there. Well, no, Tr- Tracy Murray, yeah, no, I'm glad I you brought him up, because Tracy Murray was the first person I interviewed for this article. And he actually lives in Las Vegas, and he, I think he's the shooting coach for the for the Lakers. And so I was interacting with him on, on, on Twitter, was the only way I could get in touch with him. And I finally, the last day I was in Vegas for the summer, the guy actually got to sit down and talk to him. And we were just sitting courtside at one of the games. And, yeah, he was... He, he was, in that series, by the end of the season, he was their whole offense off the bench. He actually, in the uh, in games one and games two, he scored, I think it was 35 of the team's 37 bench points. <laughs> yes. And,
0: nobody, else, and, nobody else scored any bench points in the second yeah, game. It,
1: it, it gave, and then in game three, because he, the third quarter, Chicago got up by eight points in game three. And then, you know, the, the fans were getting nervous and thinking, you know, it's the Bulls are going to pull away. And it was in the third quarter where Tracy Murray went five for five, uh, with 13 points and brought the team back to to the tie. So he was the one who turned the tide in that, in game three. And then he went down to the wire after that. But yeah, Tracy Murray was, I mean, he was the instant offense off the bench. Um, he sort of took the role of Tim Legler, who who was injured for most of the year. And yeah, he was great. And, and he, I guess in a, in a follow up all right, I got to put together about him. His, his time in Washington didn't end. Uh, very well, uh, very happily, at least. Um, how, how, how did how
0: did your and you started this with these personal memories, which you mentioned of you know being in this game, you know uh, from 1988 to 1997, the Bullets never made the playoffs. After having all this history of the of the 70s and you know all this all this goodwill of Washington basketball, pro basketball, and then this doldrum of the 80s, you know finally success. You got. Young stud players, guys from the Fab Five, you know what I mean? Like the Fab Five is the biggest thing going in sports there in the early 80s and now, early, early 90s. The, the long sock, the long, sh- the long shorts, the black socks. And now here you got two of those guys on your team that you're rooting for. And so then to see them, them know go toe to toe against Michael Jordan, you know, the champs, it had to be an unbelievable experience. Now, when you, when you look at what you experienced that, in your memory of it, and then when you actually did this project and talked to all these players who were involved, how did those memories, how did they match, and how did they differ? You know what well, I mean? Like, like, what memories do you remember having as a young kid, and then when you started doing this project, and how things kind of played out through the project, and how they maybe shaped what you remember in different ways?
1: But it sort of reinforced the feelings you have as a fan, because I, you know, I remember where I was, the day that like we found out that you know Weber was coming here and, and Howard was ending his holdout. And we like all of a sudden, you know, we got the fat five here. And so you remember and then and then to go through uh, Chris Weber's couple of years of his you know dislocated shoulders. And so we have the disappointment there and then it finally mashing it coming together. I mean that's you, you when you grow up going to the to to the Capitol Center and it's a pretty depressing place. It's out in Landover. You gotta drive. Either I get your parents to drive there, or once I got a driver's license, I you know, drive there against traffic, you know, uh, you know, on a Wednesday night to to watch you know a horrible horrible team. And for all that to come together, it's it's almost like because you've gone through that, it makes it a much more enjoyable uh experience and also more indelible in your memory. You know, it's such a great thing, a great experience that you had. And so when you talk to the players, and when he, when you hear, you know, Bernie Bickerstaff say like, oh yeah, because he's from DC or from around there and he coached the, the team, uh, he was an assistant coach on the championship team in 77, 78. Cool. And so for him to, to say like, oh, I love, you know, it was great to talk to someone who, who, who remembers that and it was a season ticket holder back then and, and that was great times back there and he wishes they could have, you know, kept it together longer. And to hear, and to hear, like I said, with Juwan saying, you know, I'm, I'm getting chills right now as you ask me that question. So it's, it's Juwan's having a memory, which is even stronger, you know, than, than when i of being in that stadium. You know, he's having the same type of memory. So talking to the players and hearing the same thing and hearing, and hearing their, you know, emotional attachment to something, which sometimes as fans, you think, oh, the players don't care. You know, they're just in it for the, for the money. They don't have the same attachment to the team or the name, you know, the, the, the city on the uniform. And so, to hear Rod Strickland, a guy who, I didn't know what the conversation with Strickland was going to be like, because he's, I think, you know, I thought, at least from my memories, he was not really that into the press, so, you know, he did not talk that much, or do that many interviews. And, and so to hear him talk, I and mean, I talked to him for like 35, 40 minutes about his entire time in Washington. So to hear him talk like a, like just a regular person talking about his time back then, like a regular fan you would be talking to, but it's, but it's Rod Strickland you're talking to. I mean, this is, you know, to, to talk to him and hear his, Hear him remember things the same way, and him say, "Oh, I wish I would have taken that shot." And and you know, getting trade for, for uh, you know Rasheed Wallace, and now he said, you know, he wasn't happy coming to DC because he was in the middle of a, of a contract dispute, so he wanted to get a new contract, and Washington wasn't going to give him a new contract, so he wasn't happy about that. But but for him to say, "But hey," but I was really happy to play with Weber and Howard, and um, so to hear them talking. In those terms, it sort of reinforces your your memories and, and, and also your your fandom, I guess. So like you can see that sometimes we get too especially us writing about the team, you know, you get pretty involved and in, in writing and you can get pretty critical because you're writing and you can take a step back and remember that you're still you're still a fan, and you, you know, you still want the team to do well and you still have everybody is in the same boat. And you can and you see that when the players are remembering something of a of a time when they were winning. So so it was really on a personal level, it was cool to talk to them and hear all their stories, and and I think it's a time that just isn't remembered that much in in, in history because most people think of the '90s is you know you think of the Weber trade you think of you think of uh, you know lottery Gugliata, some good players some bad players Miguel Eccles who I like who I love and um, you know those are sort of the memories of the last of the '90s but but you forget that 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 there's this other period and and, and so it's cool to to talk to all the guys and the, the one guy who <laughs> Was Jim Lynam I mean, who sort of got the short end of the stick? Who, who yeah, was I was going. I was, was going to yeah. ask
0: you about that. So, so he got fired in the middle of the season, and Bickerstaff replaced him.
1: Yeah, so he, he got fired. They were tw- and the other thing is it's sort of a not really a parallel to this year, but he he got fired the day, the game before the All Star break. They were twenty two <laughs> and 24. So they, they were they were twenty two and twenty four. They were a team that had expectations because. Howard came back. He, this is also the summer when he signed with Miami, and then came back. Correct. Strickland came in the trade. Weber's healthy. Huge expectations, but the team's floundering. They're 22 and 24. They're about 500 for the beginning of the season, up, up until the All-Star break. And, uh, they were going into a new stadium next year, and A. Poland didn't want to have the drought continue. He wanted to get you know winning. And so uh, unsell, unsell fired a fired the game before the All-Star break. And it surprised the players. You know, Chris Whitney was saying it was a shock to him. Uh, Tracy Murray, like no one was expecting it. And, and they brought in Bernie Vickerstaff. And and, he, and there, at that point, it was really sort of a, a, a switch from where they are now, where it was the offense that wasn't working back then. It was Rod Strickland was having a hard time uh, meshing with, playing with Reverend Howard, because he's more of a traditional point guard. And he's just having the ball in his hands. He creates plays. He can get to the lane. you know, he's, he, he gets assists. But in Washington in the beginning... Weber and Howard were pushing the ball a lot on offense, uh, taking up in transition. And that was, that's what Jim Lynam wanted them to do. And Weber and, and, Howard were saying that's what they were, they sort of continued their Fab Five ways of playing like that. It just didn't work out for Strickland. He needed to have the ball. So Bakerstaff made that change. He put the ball in, in Strickland's hands and, and made more defined roles with the other guys. And that's when they started taking off, um, you know, after Lynam, after Lynam was fired. So it's, it's a, it's a little bit of a, a of a parallel to where they are. Now uh, you know they were they were twenty eight and thirty three at, at one point and um, five games under five hundred
0: that's like almost exact right now yeah they were
1: they were 28, they were and thirty three and they were there were four teams battling for the last two spots sort of like where they are now with was
0: Bickerstaff on the, on the staff and they just, just no no
1: out? no I, interestingly Bickerstaff started the season coaching the Denver Nuggets but was fired <laughs> he was four and nine. Got fired after the 13th game of the season. And so he was out of the NBA at that point. And then I, I went back. I think there have been other instances of this because I was looking to see if it had happened this, before. It's this such a deep polling move, by the way, but keep going. <laughs> but bigger staff, you know, the, the coach said that when he came to DC, because I've been asking him, well, what were the expectations? You're coming to a team that's 22 and 24. They just fired their coach. They have some great young players what were you told was the expectations? Obviously 22 and 24 isn't good enough. What, what did they tell you when you came in? And he said he remembered having a, a conversation uh, with, with Abe Poland, who told him that, you know, they're moving, they're, they're going to be moving into a new downtown arena. They got the new name. They're, they're trying to move in a different direction. They're breaking ground on the new arena, and and so they need to start moving into a positive direction. They need to start, like, working towards the playoffs. So that's what the organization was, was looking for. And and that, that's what A. Poland, you know, that's what they a- Poland was was looking for, and that's what they got. Um, so it was an interesting time, you know, in the French at the time, where because you had that specific event, the, the new stadium, the new name, you had a catalyst that was what, that was there um, to, that would make them make that move. Uh, which is a little different than now because they've made the playoffs the last two years. They got to the second round the last two years. There isn't that there isn't that push yet, that disappointment yet, to to, to 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 push them to make a move or something, but. But that's where they were back then. I mean, they were they were trying to to jumpstart the team. And actually, Bickerstaff said that one of the things he did as soon as he took over was he showed the team uh, a video of the of the '78 championship season oh, that's because crazy. he wanted the players to know that the Bullets had a winning tradition. That they that that you know, they talked about the '70s. They talked about this is this is a winning team. This isn't the Bullets have been horrible for for, for you know a decade. But know that you're not on a losing team. This, you know, the Washington Bulls have a tradition, and he wanted them to start thinking like that. So, so I thought that was interesting that he would show them a video of the team. I don't know how much, the, you know, what, how much the players got out of it seeing the old seeing Chenier and everyone run around in their short shorts. Um, but but he wanted to instill, a, you know, a winning winning ideal, you know, for the team.
0: So the elephant in the room to me would be uh, Mr. Chris Webber. Did you try to talk to Chris Webber, and what did everyone say about Chris Webber?
1: Well, yeah, I tried. Uh, I to the extent uh, whatever, whatever you know, TNT there,
0: or NBA TV or whatever. Yeah, social media,
1: did a website. You know, I put out um, you know requests or whatever was uh, you know w- whatever ways I could find to put out there. Um, so yeah, I mean uh, Strickland was talking. They, they were they were you know Strickland was talking about how 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 Weber was the the heart of a team, you know, to have a guy like that with that skill set who could put up, you know, 20, 10, and 5, and, you know.
0: Rim protector, two, athletic finish, <laughs> pass. I mean, this yeah. is him in his prime, man. Like, this is, like, sick Chris Webber coming back from the injuries. I mean, he still, yeah, was, that, he still wasn't as polished as maybe obviously his, his Sacramento days ended up, but this is the freak Chris Webber.
1: Well, at that point, he, he led the team in points rebounds, down steals, blocks, three point shooting. He's shot forty percent on on one hundred fifty one attempts. So not not a small sample size. I mean, he, he was shooting, you know, over one a game. and shooting forty percent. He was second on the team in assists. I mean, he was, he was as, dominant as you can get as you know physically and just you know skill wise. And you know, Strickland was saying that Weber doesn't get enough credit, even throughout his whole career, for what he was capable you know of doing. And And that, and that, it also makes you look back at the trade because, you know, the players, you know, when I asked them about that, they, you know, they all said to a man, you know, that was, you know, that was the end. You can't lose, you know, you can't lose Weber. And you have to imagine the team knew what they were doing in terms of. There was talk about the, you know, the off-court issues or what, you know, made the, made it, you know, necessary, um, to, to, to get rid of Weber. But you can see. Because there was talk about them making the trade without really examining all their options and bringing in Richmond just to have a big name who not necessarily is going to translate on the court, and so you wonder like when they decided they had to get rid of Weber, whether there was other ways they could have gone about getting another young you know talent or someone who they could they could build they could build with. But 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 uh, you know, in, ta- in talking to Bickerstaff, he was saying that he doesn't think he didn't think there were any off court issues that were the cause for. For the Weber trade, he said that he had no problems with him off the court and he had no problems with the way he was playing. Um, you know, whether there were some questions about whether he could play with Howard, uh, you know, having two big men like that together. But, but but Howard said the same thing, that, no, he had no problems, you know, playing alongside well, playing if, alongside. You know, if,
0: if, let's but, highlight Chris Weber's stats. 1996 and 97, the year that we're referencing, he was 23 years old. He averaged 20 points, two blocks, almost two steals, five assists, ten rebounds, Shot fifty three percent from the field, fifty two percent from the field, and shot forty percent from three. Then the following year, he was twenty two points a game, uh, ten rebounds, four assists, one point five steals, two blocks, and also shot. Uh, once again, he shot he shot thirty two percent from three, but he shot more threes. And he was twenty four years old. So they they trade a guy putting up just ridiculous amounts of numbers especially the assists. I mean, the average four or five assists in, in 20 and 10 and being the, the rim protector that he was as well. So remind the people who don't know they were younger why they traded Chris Webber. Because I, I have my feelings of why. Did anyone really talk about the reasons why they traded Chris Webber? Because, because another thing, this is really, to me, this this, this thing that you're doing about this is almost kind of bittersweet, right? I mean, you've showed a moment of time in, in history that was a personal story for you, but then you also showed this promise of what there was to be, and the reason it wasn't to be is because they created Chris Webber a year later.
1: <laughs> Correct? Yeah, I mean, it, yes, it's sort of a story of the Bullets. It's a story of, right? of, of you know, being a and
0: then the Bullets. And then, sorry, sorry, then they go nine years... After this, after this playoffs, they go nine years. I'm sorry, eight years from ninety seven to two thousand five until Gilbert hits the shot against the Bulls to win the playoff series. So eight more years is pretty much this is the this is the reason why. They traded a young stud NBA all star. So what did anyone talk about the trade? And why do you think they did
1: trade for the people that don't know? Yeah, well, the trade happened in a. it was May May fourteenth. That was nineteen ninety eight. And he was traded for for people who might not remember, for Mitch Richmond and Otis Thorpe. Otis Thorpe was sort of a throw-in. Uh, although I kind of liked everybody not, not not to be able to contribute at that point in his career. Mitch Richmond was an older shooting guard. The problem with that was not just trading for Richmond; it was that they then gave him a four-year, $40 million extension, <laughs> which was absurd, in which they ended up buying out the last two years of that contract, but that was just, you know, compounding a, a bad mistake. I don't know why they did that, but anyway. Um, so in talking to, I mean, I asked Bickerstaff about the trade. And I said, you know what? Because Bickerstaff was not just a, a coach; he's also been a, a general manager, a president of the Charlotte Hornets. he's, he's been in all different uh, management. You know, a lot of different teams. So I said, okay, you must have when you made the trade. You know, what, what what were the conversations? You know, you were, you did you have any say with Wes Unseld? You know, what was going on? And and he said, you know, his first response was that you know he, he's going to punt. You know, he he's not going to he doesn't want to comment on on what happened? The, the trade happened. It was an organizational decision. We were all part of the organization, we, and we made the, the decision. You know, he, he didn't want to, you know, get into it. But, but he did say that you know he didn't think there were any off the court issues with 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 Weber. He didn't that that would have caused him to make the trade. He didn't think that there was any issue with Weber playing, you know, alongside Howard, and that, you know, as far as he was concerned, Mitch is a great guy, but he just, you know, he wasn't the player that Weber was, and they just couldn't recover from from losing a a guy like that. And, and I asked Howard about it. And to go back and you were asking about some of the issues, there was a, I guess a a DUI. I think it was that, that he had, there was a, which was very unfortunate. There was a party in, I forget. I think it was at Juwan's house, but I I forget. Yes, it was was Juwan's house. In in Potomac, Maryland, at Avenel, where, uh, a woman accused both Weber and Howard of, of uh, you know, I guess, sexual assault. Um, it turned out that it was completely false. Uh, Howard won a, a, a suit against her, against the accuser. After it was dismissed, he sued her. He won the suit. I know he's never he got some you know large judgment. He's never recovered, but it was you know completely false allegations. However, at the time the trade was made, the the, the case was still pending. The, the allegations had not yet you know been dismissed. So you have. A guy who two guys together who have now had this, this accusation against them. You have a pollen who likes to you know say he wants to have you know players with upstanding integrity. I remember that I, I, I was looking for this, I couldn't find it, but I remember as a season ticket holder getting a letter from a pollen, the standard letter he sent out to everyone after the Weber trade talking about how they're moving in a more positive direction and they want, you know, more upstanding, you know, players and that and that's the type of people they want on the team. So there was sort of that type of Vibe and I asked uh Chris Whitney about it because I said, you know, it's unfortunate because the trade as it was sold to the fans was that Weber is a bad guy or Weber is a bad influence or or we need to get better upstanding members of you know society on our team. And I said, you know, we all know from you know Weber Weber's a perfectly nice guy, Weber has no problems. So how did it feel for for Whitney to have a player like that who you know is a good guy, sort of be vilified as, as the reason why you need to make the trade? And, you know, he's saying, yeah, it's un- you know, it's unfortunate and that, you know, it's unfortunate that those things happen. But, yeah, he knows Weber. You know, there was no issues with Weber and Weber was a good guy. And, that, um, and that's unfortunate that it, would, that it would come down to that. The closest, I asked Howard about it, too. The closest he would come is, because Howard, is, he speaks sort of like a politician sometimes in that he gives measured responses. He, won't, he doesn't want to say too much sometimes. You know, I asked him, for instance, about his departure from the team. You know, when he finally left and got traded and just to get a feel for where he was at that time and how he felt about leaving the team in the draft. And, and you know, he just said, yep, oh, that's the decision that the organization made. I support the organization. You know, it's fine. You know, he didn't want to get into the deep, any details. The The most he said was when I asked about the team and, and Weber and at the time is he said that he did say that he thinks that the, the players could have done a better job of, of being more professional. And he said that that's him included. He, you know, he included himself in that. And he said he didn't think that what they did uh, on the floor and off the floor, uh, you know, always prepared them as well as it should to to win ball games. So he did allow that there were issues and there there were off the court, you know, stuff that was going on, which which they you know which was affecting them on the court. So that's the that's the most I think he would say the most he would get out of him. He, he did say that he 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 as he's gotten older as he become a veteran as he looks back and he sees like what the old guys told him. You know, you you learn to get older. The better ways to repair yourself and better ways to, to be professional, and you know, you wish you knew when you're 23 or 24 what you know now. Um, so that that was the extent that they would get into it. So you know, there 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 were you have to assume there were behind the scenes stuff going on with with you know, different behavior. Um, but but as a fan and as an outsider, you wonder. You know, you hope that some of those things are things you could get past, and you hope that you know. Also, if you do have to make a move, you know. You you make moves that are a little more advantageous for the squad because, as you're saying, when you're looking at, at whatever wants that one, I mean that, that's a that's a top player in the NBA. I mean that's there aren't many assets like that on a team. If, you're gonna, if you want to look at him as a trade asset, um, but as a fan, he was you know that was the heart and soul of the team. So from from from, from from my memory,
0: from what I recall of not my personal memory, but what I've researched over the years is that the media was hounding the, the bullets relentlessly. Like Weber, yeah. the, hara- the harassment, like locals, like the power of, you know, obviously there's no Twitter, there's hardly any the internet, I believe at this time, maybe email or, you know, Netscape or something. So the media is like sports talk radio and the Washington Post were, were essentially destroying the bullets and, and Chris Weber, thugs, the whole Fab Five kind of back into it, they had that sexual assault, like you mentioned, that ended up being BS, but then Weber also got caught with marijuana in his car, leaving practice, and then he had a DUI, which, to me now, isn't a way to reason that you would trade away a 24-year-old stud who went to prep school in Detroit Country Day, was well-spoken, everyone seems to like the guy, (laughs) And, 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 you know, so, you know, he smoked a blunt, or actually, he wasn't even smoking a blunt, they found a blunt in his ashtray, I believe. So, he yeah. even, so, so that was, maybe that was a part of this. And I think he was just pulled over. Probably, I think he wasn't very nice to the cop because he thought he was being targeted. You know, he was 24 years old, probably tinted windows, loud music, didn't give a, didn't give an F. I'm sure that's what Howard is probably alluding to being young, finally having money, hanging out in the nation's capital, chocolate city, going to clubs, having fun. He's probably saying, you know, hey, as I got older, we probably should have like reined some of that back in. But I feel like there was just, to me, looking at it, that's not a reason to give away your star, star stud player. And why was he the scapegoat? And how much, how much role of the media's impact? Like I
1: mentioned, do you think played into this? Well, from from my own, from just my own experience of, from back then. I mean, I think that that was the number one reason for the media because it had nothing to do with the, the play on the court. So. Uh, and that's why I wanted to ask, and they they didn't really. That's why Bickerstaff is a guy to ask because Bickerstaff was the coach. Bickerstaff also is a front office guy, you know. He, he knows, and yeah, you know, but he didn't want to. He didn't want to get into it. But I but it's it was the, the the media back... It was sort of like that's the Allen Iverson time where it's like, oh no, he's wearing you know, look what he's wearing and look at his hair. These thugs uh, are taking over
0: the NBA, right? Braids, yeah, baggy so shorts, it, right.
1: Right, so it's, it's, infor- it's just, it's unfortunate that, that you would, that it would have that type of impact. Now, on the team to say that Weber, I mean, yes, it's ridiculous looking back to say Weber has to go. And it was ridiculous for the media to be blowing up as it was back then, but it, it was a big deal back then. And I remember, I remember the, the Avenel, the, the situation with the, the accusation. That was a big deal in the media because back then that stuff, th- these were big stars and that stuff didn't happen, you know that often, and you only had a few media outlets, you know, we're, that was like when you would wake up and read the. We're in the O.J. Simpson era, too, I mean, not
0: very long from the O.J. Simpson stuff.
1: And yeah, you got,
0: so you got cable news now chumming along, too, you got, you know, tabloid media more and more prominent in our culture.
1: Yeah, and it really was the number one reason that A Poland was citing was, at least to the fans, at least to the season ticket holders, was, was, you know, the type of personality that you want on the team. and, and And he became, you know, Sort of, you know, in that light for that being the reason why he was traded, but, but, but yeah, it was definitely it was 100 percent that, and you just hope that that also explains why they went move so quickly. I remember there were reports back then that they made the trade without, you know, doing a full, uh, you know, evaluation of other teams. You know, they, they worked quickly to make the trade, and and I think Mitch Richmond. If you look at the players that the guy, you look at Mitch Richmond, he's sort of you know, he was sort of a wholesome guy in terms of the media, you know, he, he was, he had a good reputation, and he also had been an all-star, he was a great player, he was a very good player, he was a great player, but he was, at the end of his career, But he's the type of guy you can bring in and just sort of say, oh, look, we got Mitch Richmond, everyone would be excited, we have one of the greatest shooters in the NBA, one of the greatest scorers, well, yes, except you have an older, you know, version of him, and as as Strickland said, you know, we brought in Mitch, and he said, yeah, I'm, I'm good friends with Mitch, but but, but but Mitch was like me, he's, he's old, he's, you know, we we only had a few years left, so it's not really a, a fair trade to bring him in. So, But he's the type of player you could bring in, and he was a name. Sort of like that's back in the time when they would bring in, uh, you know, Bernard King. And, and you know, you build your team around him, and that's your guy. You know, you just want a big name. So, I mean, you know, they, they felt it was definitely not basketball reasons that motivated the trade for Webber, and it wasn't basketball reasons for why they, they got Richmond. You know, they weren't looking for the best basketball player. So... Did, so did everyone kind of conclude and, that that Weber was
0: was scapegoated without them actually saying it? Was that the overall sentiment you kind of felt
1: that they danced no, around that? No, I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't go as so far as to put to put that sentiment in their in their words. They they, they were mostly speaking in basketball terms, in terms of uh, what that did, what the trade did to their to the team. Uh, and, and what it did to them, like Tracy Murray talking about how, how, how it wasn't much fun playing for the team, you know, after that, uh, as they just went through different coaches and different, different players. It was really, um, it was really Jawan, you know, talking about some of the transgressions of the players. It was Whitney, you know, talking about, yeah, it was tough because they knew how, what, what type of guy Weber was. So it was tough. It was tough for that to happen knowing what type of guy he was. Um, But they didn't want to get into, I understand, they didn't want to get too much into, you know, speculating about, um, you know, the, the reasons why he was sort of being scapegoated by the media, um, and, and sort of, and and also without, without talking to Weber. So you can't really get the, get it straight from, straight from him, but, um. Did they, did they mention at all that
0: the the next season, 97, 98, they went 42 and 40 and missed the playoffs and then he was traded. Yeah. They talk, they talk about that season because that feels if they maybe have a, if they have a more successful season, maybe they make the postseason. That maybe Weber isn't scapegoated. That maybe it's easier to scapegoat him after they miss the playoffs and they're getting hammered in the media.
1: Yeah, after that season, because after the ninety six ninety seven when they became the Wizards, uh, yeah, they talked about um both you know Baker, Staff and Whitney, Chris Whitney were talking about how yeah they they were really excited going to that season and they had a lot of injuries that year. George Murison um, was out. Weber got injured some. Uh, strictly missed a little bit. They they came down to the last couple of games. I think they missed the playoffs on the last day of the season. So it was a disappointing season because they didn't build on the year before. But they were still five. They were still five hundred. They still felt their window was open. They, they were the, you know Chris Whitney was saying that they even after that season they still felt that they had a chance that their core was there and they were and they they if they stayed together they'd be right back you know with everyone healthy again they'd be right back to where they were. So. Um, it definitely it was a surprise to them when the Weber trade happened, and it wasn't like they were they needed to be dismantled from a basketball standpoint. So, so yeah, they they were just you know they, they all took they took the same tact that you know they, they wish they had more time. They wish I mean Jawan was saying you know he wishes he wishes they'd given that team more time. He loved playing in DC. He loved playing with with Weber, and and he knows that if they were given more time, they would have developed. And and Jim Lynam of course too says he wanted more. Uh, with with that team as well, um, so so yeah, it was it was a full uh, another year where I think because they didn't make the playoffs, it gave an opening to say okay, it's not working. Um, if they had made the playoffs that that year, I think it would have been harder to trade Weber, but I think it was a combination of not making the playoffs. Then this PR stuff coming out. But still, it's it still do, defies do, logic. Do, oh, do, yeah, well, I mean they traded for
0: a thirty-two year old Mitch Richmond and a thirty five year old Otis Thorpe. At the end of their careers, they got no picks. They end up giving money to giving money to Richmond. I totally forgot about that in a buy and ass contract. I mean it's it's disastrous on multiple levels. Now, my question is, did a pullin or unselled ever own up to this mess up?
1: Do you do you remember them ever talking about this? No, in fact, I, I don't remember in my many, many years of, of, of being a fan of the team, and watching the team, and because this is like one of the most messes up in the franchise history. <laughs> but I can't remember. I can't remember Wes Unseld speaking. Yes, that's true uh, too. You know, you know, so you know, it, it, there was not. Uh, I don't remember. Yeah, there was. Ne- there's never been um, much discussion of it. That's why I think Bickerstaff would have come as close as someone would have come. And, and, and he, you know, he, he, he said at first that he, you know, he'll punt and then he didn't want to talk about it, but, but I think he, he sort of, he gave away, you know, you know, where his, where his thoughts were in terms of saying that, you know, Richmond wasn't that, you know, he'd already lost a step or two and it you know, really hurt him. And, and sort of by him saying Weber did, he didn't think Weber had any off the court issues. Uh, he didn't think there were any problems with Weber playing with Howard. I think he's sort of, you know, intimating that, you know, he, there was no reason to make the Weber, as far as he was concerned, is the implication I got that he, he didn't feel it was necessary to make the trade. And then of course, if you're going to make the trade, you don't make the trade for Mitch Richmond. The store. Well, then the next year was the lockout
0: shortened season. The, the, they're now the wizards. I forgot they were the wizards the year before when they, when they traded Weber, they go 18 and 32 and they fire Bickerstaff staff, 29 games into the season. <laughs> yes. Did he, did he mention that? I mean, they, so my point is, is like they trade Weber, and then literally, he gets fired pretty much after the lockout.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I, I asked him about you know what was it like, um, you know, you're playing now. You had Weber, you're in the playoffs. All of a sudden, you get traded. And now you're told, okay, now make do without Weber. And and again, he was very diplomatic on these issues. I mean, he's 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 at the Verizon Center almost every game doing scouting for the Cleveland Cavs. You know and. And he's—I've talked to him a few times now. He's a real nice guy, and I'm sure he's—you know—he's. Yeah, he's, no, I, I saw
0: him in the restroom the other day. I did a double take. I was like, "Is that Bernie <laughs> Yeah. He,
1: he's always there, and I'm sure he's not going to say anything—you
0: know—controversial
1: or anything. Like, you know, he's a nice guy, and he—he just—you know—I don't think he would say, "Look, we messed up. This was ridiculous." I, you know, but—but um but I think you know he—he he was making the implication there that you know, clear that he—he he didn't think the trade needed to be done. And I'm sure, and I'm sure that. That next season when he was fired, you know, coaching with that Webber, Weber. I mean, that, that's not, that, it's not a position he wanted to, to be in. And, and I know in talking to, uh, Tr- Tracy Murray was saying that this is something I was going to, if I have, uh, extra words to put in for a prologue to my, uh, to my post, um, he was talking about playing those, cause he, he signed a seven year contract when he came in 96, 97. He was a free agent when they lost Juwan Howard. They went out and signed. A couple of days later, they signed uh, Tracy Murray to take his spot. He gave him a seven-year deal. So, wow,
0: seven-year deals.
1: <laughs> so when, yeah, he, he said he was uh, he was deciding between a, a contract offer from his he's from L.A. to so his hometown. The Lakers gave him six years. Washington gave him seven years. So he said, you know, I took the extra year to get the stability, and I thought I'd get a starting spot. You know, with Juwan going. So you know, Juwan came back. Tracy came off the bench, but you know, he he, he carved out a, a pretty good role off the bench. But so when Weber was traded. Uh, Murray still had five years left on his contract, and <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> and so he he actually said that you know he had a hard time playing for the team. He said they just it was a rotation, and coaches came in, players came in. There was no defined roles. They're starting to you know, losing every game. Whitney was talking about how difficult it is to come because I, I asked him about this. How difficult is it when you go from being a playoff team, being a team on the rise, to all of a sudden now you're just getting you know you're winning eighteen games, you're winning twenty games. And they're saying how difficult it is to the grind, the NBA season, when you have no expectations of winning. You know, you go into each game saying, okay, how can we just not lose this game? And Tracy Murray says that at the end of uh, his time here in Washington, he actually went to the front office. I believe it was Jordan at the time. I don't know if he talked to Jordan. But he said he went to the front office personally and asked to be traded. And he says that that was the biggest mistake he's made in his career. And he thinks that 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 he committed career suicide by doing that because he got a black mark uh, on him. For not going through his agent and by going in and actually making that demand, and and he was eventually left Washington. But he said he never really played that many minutes in the NBA since then, and and that was a big regret of his. So so to give you an idea of the depths of where Washington fell after the Weber trade, that you know that's where that's where Tracy Murray was, and that's that's what it was like playing here, and it and and it caused him to go and do that, and that's what he said was you know his big regret.
0: No no after the lockout season Jordan took over. And the Wizards go 29-53 and 53 with Gar Herd, Walker. Then, then that Leonard Hamilton disaster the following year. Jordan Jordan is still in control. Then they draft Kwame. And then he decides to play. Uh, and, we, we, and the rest of the people, we don't need to go through all those years. But it is funny how here is that that Abe messes up in, the, in trading Weber. And then he ends up firing the coach the next year after trading him. Going through another coach and then hires Jordan to somehow save the day. And guess who was in those negotiations to hire Jordan telling E.B.I.? This would be Ted Leonces, which it all ten comes is- back, all comes back around, right? And it's all-
1: <laughs> <ten the ounces.
0: laughs> Well, Adam, okay, we, 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 um, we're going to wrap this up before, before <laughs> I, we, we've rambled on, but I, this, yeah. we're going to have to do this, we're going to do this bullets podcast on its own, but, my my thing to you before tell the people what is your plan for your project I know we went through all this stuff but what do you lay me out what, what you're gonna roll out and how you're kind of storyboarding uh, all this information all this awesome quote you got from all these all these guys well I have it
1: in it's 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 ready to go I have it in two parts if you can wait through it it's are they're, they're somewhat long but I got it in two parts now so I got I got one it should be Monday depending on when this podcast is out maybe this will be maybe it'll be out before the podcast comes out but it'll be uh Covering the you know how the team came together the all season up to the start of the playoffs in in one segment and the next segment is 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 game three and the Chris Webber trade just sort of going through the chronology and putting in all the uh, all the quotes all the stories I went back and got some video from a lot of different games and uh, some 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 cool photos and there's another story out uh, a story Strickland told which was pretty funny I won't I won't spoil it but about uh the Orlando Magic's coach uh, Richie Adubato so he, he had a funny story about him which is in there too so um it's it's just in two posts and then as I I'll follow up with, I think I'll put out some of the transcripts of my interviews with the players so people can see the the long form of, of Juwan's interview and see, you know, see some of the other stuff that, that I couldn't fit into the article, you know, did as you, well.
0: Did, I know this is off topic, but it's still relevant. Did you did you ask Strickland about eating hot dogs? I asked, uh, <laughs> or
1: is the, he, <laughs> number, it, it is on topic in that I asked Tracy Murray because sort of, sort of alluding to like, wondering if there were any funny stories about other players who, who we played with. And I remember, like, Strickland, and you know, I said to him, hey, Strickland, there's stories about Strickland, you know, eating hot dogs and stuff like that. Before the games, and, before the games, bunch of hot dogs. Yeah, before right. the games. So I asked Tracy Murray about it, and what he said, which was a good answer, he said, listen, forget all that stuff, you know, I played these guys, these are my teammates, and, and, and Rod Strickland was a great player, and and, and Rod was the guy who, you know, when he scored, when Tracy Murray scored his 50 points, which was the anniversary of that, was a couple days ago, um, where Tracy Murray scored his 50 points against Golden State, I guess 18 years ago. Uh, Strickland had 20 assists that game. And, uh, so he just talked about, the, he, he didn't get into the, any of that stuff. So he just talked about how, how, you know, how great of a player and teammate, you know, Strickland was. So I did, I did bring it up to one guy, but then, I, you know, it, I try to keep it more positive in, in my conversations with these people and their memories. So I didn't want to go, go, go <laughs> it. It's a funny story to the fans, but I don't know if it can be somewhat touchy to the, to the players.
0: Yeah, no, no, I think it'd be, Gotta find a roundabout way to kind of ask it without asking it, right? <laughs> like, dude, did what's, some know, of the, what's like, up with the hot Like, I'd be straight up like, dude, what's up with the hot dogs? But then you want all the yeah, other yeah. answers, but you want all these other information so you don't want him to shut down on the hot dog comment or you won't get any other, other, other goodies, right? <laughs> yes, I know. I did not, I
1: did not bring it up to Rob. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe in
0: a follow up. Uh, wait, I thought is that why is he not coaching in Kentucky anymore? I thought he was on the staff he, of Kentucky. What hey, happened? He to
1: he was on the staff of Kentucky, I believe. I could be wrong on this. I believe one of the other assistant coaches from Kentucky moved to UCF and then brought Rod down there. So I think he's coaching with a guy who also used to be an assistant coach on Kentucky. Okay. There's some connection like that that's going on. Gotcha. Well, thanks,
0: Adam, for, for your time, man. We, we rambled on. But this this, this this road on Bullets history, this is a lot of stuff that I, I totally forgot about. You know, I didn't move to D.C. until to, to 2001. But my dad was always a Bullets fan. and but, you know, You'd watch stuff on ESPN, but you know, it's hard to you – know, there wasn't League Pass. There wasn't Twitter, the internet. You know, you'd read box scores. You didn't get really uh, – you were not able to follow teams unless you were able to follow the team locally. So not the way you yeah. are now. You can follow. So it's always good to get some memories of how this stuff actually trans, transpired in real time, especially for someone that was so personally involved.
1: Well, you can take some, put some time aside when the stories get posted and, uh, you know, t- take some time and print them out and you, you can read them. There you go. Well,
0: thank you everyone for taking your uh, time listening to us ramble. We, we talked about this team and went in... Hold on, we talked about uh, a team that's underachieving and a team that, uh, misses chance to achieve. So, wow. It just, just sums up your fandom of, uh, Washington <laughs> DC sports. <laughs> no, anyway, uh, everyone's still stay with us this podcast. I'm going to keep producing them. Um, we give you a very optimistic take on this team. I still think, uh, they'll have a chance to possibly turn this around. Go cheer for John Wall, uh, and this all-star eat some chocolates. Make sure you get your, so you have any other's name, right? Like John said. And, uh, as always, <laughs> go
1: with
0: it. Gangsta, gangsta, tell me how you do it. It seems so simple, like there was nothing to it. Gee, you know, it hard being me, being an executive, and still DP, still keep a burner, let the flame burn, young ass. Still ain't learned Girls wanna act like Don't stink in the back Get smack like Since my crew with We got f- better. I sing a couple words To your bird, and I hit her She got a kid But I pay for babysitters She got some friends while well, I hit them f- With her f- Jealous If it was spades They never set us Your girl was impressed When she met us Woke up and made breakfast. My fellas You can't forget us Fetish for lettuce From the home of Jay Rose And Jerome Bennett Take my people love With the flow That'd be marvelous Gangster ah. gangster if my people love with the flow, that be marvelous. Uh, gangster, gangster, tell me how you do it. If my people love with the flow, that be marvelous. Uh, gangster, gangster, tell me how you do it. If my people love with the flow, that be marvelous. Uh, Gangsta, tell me how you do it. Uh, yo, I do it with no doubt, know it's gon' work out. Talk on the phone, but only if it's burnt out. Been with many, but it's never been turned out. Think they can? F- me, must be served sure. out. Down to sacrifice and pay the price. Since I've been young, I've been nice on the dice. The inner city star hanging in your draw. Th- Mr. The quick, the mic off the ball.
1: Just the other day, I was dipping down bird with a monster pull to the curb and swerve, trying to make a dollar out of fifteen cents. Just trying to keep my rent paid, rolling. About to get married, about to get that pay, man. rolling, gang control, man. I got to keep all of mine. It's like heaters, man. stay warm all the time. Get my people off with blow flow, that be marvelous. Gangsta, gangsta, tell me how you do it. Get my people off with blow flow, that be marvelous. Gangsta, gangsta, tell me how you do it. if my people off with blow flow, that be marvelous. Gangsta, gangsta, tell me how you do it. Get my people love with the flow, that be marvelous. Gangsta, gangsta. Tell me how you do it. gangsta, gangsta. Gangsta, gangsta, ha, gangsta, 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 tell me how you do it. Uh, gangster, gangster, tell me how you
0: do it. Uh, gangsta, tell me how you do it. Uh, gangsta, tell me how you do it. Uh, gangster, gangster, i mm-hmm.